Hello and welcome to the Banker Podcast series, Banking Under Pressure, exploring how the financial services industry is coping with the COVID-19 pandemic. In this series, the Banker's editors are interviewing industry experts from around the world to gather insights and advice on specific challenges, best practices and innovations that can help banks and their customers manage during these tough times. I'm Kimberly Long, Asia Editor of the Banker, and today I'm speaking with Frederick Crosby, Chief Revenue Officer at Neum. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Kimberly. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks so much. So to begin with, how has Neum supported customers through the pandemic? Well, this year has been tough on everyone. And first, I just want to call out my sympathy and support for anyone who's really facing a challenging year. But on the business side, I'd have to say no one's plan is going as thought in 2020. Everyone had to be very nimble. Everyone had to assess a new situation and quickly change to it. And that is one thing where Neom uh, really excels in. Uh, Neom is a global financial uh, infrastructure platform uh, that allows people to access a variety of different services from sending money uh, to spending money through card issuance uh, through receiving money through uh, international multi-currency accounts and acquiring all that through a very elegant uh, API. Now, that just sounds like a bunch of financial jargon, but what that means for customers is a means to pivot. Um, as an example, uh, the collection of items that we have uh, can be summarized as banking as a service. This allows you to, to work internationally, come up with all your solutions through uh, an elegant API collection, uh, we've been able to help companies suddenly adapt for the moment. Uh, there's a company, for example, called Activate. Activate is a uh, IT manpower solution in Singapore. Uh, they suddenly saw that their customer base, which is a migrant workforce, had a huge need to send money back home. Right? During this time, everyone was trying to help everybody around the world get through it. They launched a remittance server through us called My Remit. Now, this allowed them to go through. Uh, through their mobile app and allow their customer base to send money to their families, their friends, everywhere around the world. And they were able to do this quite quickly through a service like ours. Uh, as another example, there is a company called Cebuana Lillier. This is uh, the Philippines' largest microfinancial service provider. Same solution. Like they saw that our banking as a service and remittance as a service was able to get another uh, of their apps, Quirks, uh, set up so that their uh, customer base uh, would allow thousands of Filipinos to get money in Singapore back to the Philippines. Uh, so another example where this might not have been the plan going into the year, but as people saw the need go up, they had to accelerate. And it's not just in Asia. We have customers such as Ascendo Banco, which is one of Mexico's predominant banks that was also working to try to figure out how to get money transfers internationally. People saw more and more needs to adapt. So really, when, when you kind of get down to it, you had to have one place to go. You couldn't start in a direction and pivot. I have a lot of our customers who uh, were uh, looking at starting with one of our services at the beginning of the year and suddenly seeing another in need. And instead of going to another vetting process, another vendor, another option, it was great that they could just pick from the suite of options to, uh, to suddenly adapt to their business plan that they have. And how have cross-border payments been impacted? Like you've already talked around the need for more services to send money kind of back home by migrant workers. So how, is, how have the cross-border payment sector responded as well? It has been crazy. Um, 
I should first preface that I've been doing cross-border fintech for a long, long time. I, I consider myself one of the, the early adopters of cross-border fintech. So it's an area near and dear to my heart. Uh, and I've been watching trends for a lot of years in the space. And things have just completely accelerated in some areas and hit big dips in others. Um, over the years, uh, the world has just gotten more intertwined. Payments have had to go between more countries, not only for you know, the traditional uh, ec um, behemoths of industry, oil and, and such, but down to a consumer level. Uh, people have been able to send uh, money to merchants from all over the world and receive packages from all over the world. Uh, and of course, there's always a travel element of things that people have been able to enjoy. Now, some areas have been impacted hard. Uh, when we think about cross-border payments, uh, things in terms of big trade, oil and such, uh, hit, a, hit a bit of a dip, uh, particularly in uh, intra-regional trade, I'm sorry, inter-regional trade. And big dips in the U.S., greater than 20% losses of, of cross-border trade. Uh, Europe and Asia also saw dips. Travel industry, of course, uh, had been decimated internationally as people in 90% uh, of the countries had to observe very strict regulations on being able to travel. Yet, all this is very gloomy on one side and kind of breaking trends happening in the cross-border payment itself. Things had shifted on the consumer side. E-commerce, of course, saw a boom this year, right? We've all talked about it. Digital acceleration in so many different areas. Um, things that were kind of on everyone's books had to adapt more quicker as suddenly you couldn't go into retail stores. You couldn't go into retail banks. Uh, you had to have a digital uh, face everywhere in the world. Well, what that meant is once everyone's on a digital face, the globe is at your fingertips. So if you're a traditional person who like to go into a store and shop or go into your bank, some of you saw many more options. And some of them might be more domestic, like neobanks, and they accelerate quite quickly. Uh, and that's one part of our business. But also on the consumer side, trying to uh, go out there and, and find stuff, you could be browsing on the internet, and maybe you're buying from a seller around a block from you. Uh, and maybe you're seeing uh, something that's on the other side of the world. Now that was a huge boom and uh, service PayPal are seeing all times records at, both in their major business, but also in cross-border trade and cross-border payments, just so we all know, is not just a niche thing. This is like a $200 billion industry out there. It's a huge niche of the overall $2 trillion industry. So as we saw cross-border e-commerce grow and uh, we saw more people entering in that area. We also saw the, the digital supply chain get quite active as well. Um, this is like a business to business play or uh, business to consumers when you think about the people behind those websites that are providing the services uh, from designers in all parts of the world, from, from Ukraine and Singapore uh, to uh, suppliers in uh, Japan uh, or Mexico. I mean, everyone got active and got on board digitally at a speed not seen before. Uh, it really took about five to 10 years worth of growth and packed it all into one year. And with all these changes that are, you've really been outlined now that have happened in the last year, how are payments likely to change further in the coming years? And has, there been, has this been spared on um, by the increase use of digital payments in 2020 during the pandemic? 
Yeah, uh, completely. Um, as I mentioned, uh, everyone really had to adopt plans much quicker. Uh, people who were sitting on the edge uh, of wanting to do digital things for their companies went into a full. And I'm not just talking about the large enterprises who suddenly had to have options on how to pay digitally and pick up digitally, but even uh, what we call Main Street here in the U.S., uh, where small businesses had to adopt. A lot of these services um, uh, got accelerated, and people are now facing more and more options on how to uh, um, consider uh, moving money digitally um, for that. So a lot of acceleration in that space. But this also has some other elements to it. As we talk about uh, consumers out there buying things online, uh, there's a lot of other folks that are getting their money internationally, as we mentioned before, vendors, suppliers, designers, marketers. And with that, there is this new age of being able to send money quickly, not just digitally, but quickly. Uh, there had been this expectations that when you get a payment, uh, it's going to take a while. Uh, it used to be this game of if you were an invoicer and someone said it paid you, you had to kind of hold your breath and wait one day, two days, maybe three days, maybe four, some places a week to get your payment. And you just had to believe it was there. Santa's coming, the check's in the mail, honestly. Not anymore. What we've seen accelerate during this year, and I think is going to be one of the big components of the future of money, is real-time payments. Uh, as you know, in, in London and you see in the UK and Europe, that's gotten to be very popular uh, as an item in that region. It's accelerating all over the world. 60% of NEAM's payments, for example, are real-time payments internationally. And we're just chunking off spot by spot. It's going to become more than just a nice feature. It's going to be an expectation. So there is one big change I see coming in, in upcoming years is people expect that when you hit click, I'm paying for that. They want to see it in their wallet, in their bank account, whatever service that they're using immediately. Uh, another thing that's getting, uh, that's up there, and we still don't know exactly where it's going to fall, is cryptocurrency, right? Anyone who's seen the Bitcoin valuation today? Holy cow, here we go again. <laughs> it goes from uh, almost worthless to tens of thousands of dollars worth of value. Uh, can't really tell you where that's going to go in the future, but it sure has gotten a lot of attention in 2020. Uh, why? Well, there's a number of components, and that's almost a whole podcast in itself. But there is this element about universal fit for wherever you're sending and receiving money. And this is something that Neom emanates. Uh, while we're not a, a cryptocurrency play, uh, we do uh, get aligned with the philosophy that's made cryptocurrency very popular. And that is uh, this universal plug. I could take money from anywhere and put it anywhere else. And I don't have to go through a bunch of hurdles and hoops. This is the infrastructure platform that we built in cryptocurrency kind of uh, also uh, mimics to a degree. Uh, I think there's a good future for cryptocurrency. But uh, in terms of how it's going to happen and when, uh, that's, that's anyone's guess at this point. But we'll see some more focus on that in the upcoming years. And then I think in addition to all that, when we get past the COVID-19 uh, outbreak, there's going to be a lot of focus on businesses to really get more efficient in their operations. I think we're all looking forward to the economic recovery that's going to be coming around the corner. Um, as people get to go outside, as people get to inter interact, um, we'll see businesses start to recover, but it's not going to be an immediate. I don't think this is a V-shaped recovery. 
I think people have kind of labeled it the Nike swoosh type of recovery where it will, it will happen. It'll happen over years. Well, in those kind of situations, people really need to look internally to their operations and make sure they're as efficient as ever and providing all the services they can at the best cost. That means throwing away some of your more expensive uh, vendor relationships, and this could be included in payments, to having the right kind of a payment infrastructure that's very easy to operate. Uh, and this is one thing Neom also provides to the market with our modular infrastructure. Uh, going back to what I was talking about near the beginning of, of this podcast, uh, people can look at their systems and see where they're spending money too much and being cost inefficient and adapt to a new service, whether they realize they need to have more multi-currency accounts in different parts of the world in order to lower their FX costs, uh, or if it's something where they need to get more into debit card issuance so that there isn't as heavy administrative cost of being able to send all these individual checks to their vendors or freelancers. Uh, or if they just are doing send money internationally and their costs are too high in FX. Uh, there's a lot of work that CFOs and CPOs are going to join arm in arm and do and really try to transform uh, in 2021 and 2022 as we all get past this year and, and build into a, a new future. Well, thanks for that so much, Frederick. That was really interesting. Yeah, no problem at all. No problem at all. I always love talking about this stuff. And you can keep up to date by subscribing to our weekly podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast, and follow the discussions at thebanker.com slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.